At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, I'm David Evans, and this is the Media Series from Wolves Fancast. This is episode 8, Broadcasting, the game, the match, the event. Telling the story of what could, what has and what did happen is an important role in describing the events of live sport. So when it comes to broadcasting, what are the challenges for preparing and sharing the story of the event and what work goes into presenting and reporting live that the listener or viewer may not see? Also, despite sports media being a male-dominated arena for decades, we're starting to see a balance of power, with greater opportunities for women to front and report on mainstream programmes. But is there still more work to be done to balance out inequality in the medium, and what can be done to encourage more women into the industry? Jackie Oatley is a celebrated broadcaster for the BBC, ITV and Sky, and I spoke to her about these questions and more. Tell me about your your roots, your journey to where you are now. Did you always want to work in the media or was it something that just kind of happened off by chance? It didn't happen by chance, my goodness, no. Some people fall into their jobs, don't they? That did not happen with me in this job, no. Um, So I grew up in Codsall, born in Wolves, grew up in Codsall all my life and went to an all-girls school for 10 years and football was never mentioned there. Girls high, by any chance? No, I actually went to Brood. Oh, okay. And and then to the grammar school for sixth form in Wolverhampton and um, never occurred to me to work in football Mm. at all or the media Um, I became completely obsessed with football overnight pretty much one day I saw a game on TV when I was off sick and and I was already mad obsessed with sports so that was an innate thing that wasn't bred by family or anything and um, watched everything golf snooker anything but football hadn't really been on my radar because of family and friends reasons I think and then I saw a game one day and that was it pretty much overnight and this obsession just grew and grew and was really quite extensive really quite quickly (laughs) and um but still even though languages were my thing at school Mm. and I did speech and drama and and um, shows and that kind of thing and obviously the football obsession. Everybody who knew anything about me knew that I was having my head down in uh, <laughs> match shoot in 90 minutes on the back of the school bus. But not one person ever suggested working in football, working in the media. It never occurred to me. And I'm not blaming anyone for that. But in this day and age, cut a long yeah. story short, if you had a, a football crazy girl who couldn't play, there were no teams or anything, no one ever... Yeah. suggested they even played either I mean, this is how long ago it was probably not that long actually and um but in this day and age someone would say well have you thought of working in football have you thought of working in media mm. they just would yeah um, so at least that's progression but no in those days wasn't a consideration you didn't see women talking about football on tv rarely on the radio you did a little bit um but no and it was only really 
um, after I'd fallen in, I was at Denton University for four years, did a German degree, went travelling around the world, came back, moved to London, uh, got to pay my rent, <laughs> need to get a job, joined a recruitment consultancy, language agency, they found me a job using my languages okay. and sales and marketing and four and a half years later, well, injured my knee badly playing football oh, okay. and I used to go and watch Wolves home and away every Saturday all over the country on the supporters' buses and um, and then when I was down in London, uh, went all around the country with London Wolves, Euston every other Saturday. Yeah, okay. And um, and then every Sunday played for my club and was club secretary at my local club. And then first game of the season, did my knee really, really badly, dislocated my kneecap, oh, ruptured okay. all the ligaments and was told in no uncertain terms by the consultant, no chance of doing any kind of yeah. twisty, turny sports, let alone <laughs> football. Um, and it hit me quite hard and I just thought if I can't be immersed in football from a playing and watching point of view mm. if I could only go on a Saturday and not play on a Sunday then I need to do something about this okay. and and frankly not being able to watch World Cups wall to wall I found a basic infringement of my human rights yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't understand that people did this when they got grown-up jobs that they weren't allowed to watch yeah. Colombia versus like Costa Rica yeah, it's like when you're a kid at school and you you know there's a two o'clock game on in the afternoon and you're just not allowed to watch it and you think yeah. just let me watch that game I thought that was too weird, so I bought a little Casio pocket <laughs> television and yeah. used to just prop it up on my desk and, and arrange meetings Hide so I could watch it on trains. <laughs> Honestly, I literally did because I just thought this is just weird that you can't watch all the games. So, uh. Did you grow up in a sports-oriented family then? Do you think that's why perhaps at the time you never thought that would be a role you'd look, like to go into? Were your parents into football or sport or anyone else in your family? Well, my brother cannot stand sport. No interest. <laughs> okay. Won't watch. I mean, he wears a wolf's cap every single day, but he's not really a fan of any kind of sport he wouldn't watch it even if his little sister was presenting it he right. just, he's yeah. just not interested really um, he's been to the odd Wolves game but it's not his thing never mm. has been and my dad yeah he loved golf he loved playing golf really and, and we watched the big events together but not really football and my mum used to play sport when she was younger and you know, she loves Wolves now absolutely mm. loves them but, um, but no it wasn't really a, a big thing and um but, but I did have this innate passion and, and it became a, an all-consuming mm. obsession with football. <laughs> and I was really quite strange and I used to have all these pictures, all pop stars plastered across my right. bedroom wall. Like There wasn't an inch that was spare. And then I just remember one day, this is going back a bit, I remember one day just getting rid of all the Bross posters and uh, ripped them Can't all out. get from, rid of the Bross posters? From, and, yeah, no, <laughs> Matt and Luke Goss and Craig in those days. And um, then I ripped them all out and mm. just cut anything out from Matt Sheet in 90 minutes. Like, literally, I remember waking up to Tim Sherwood in a Norwich kit every morning, <laughs> which was quite weird, um, especially when I work with him now. I don't think I've told him that. And um, yeah, Chick Charnley on my uh, bedside table. It used to just stick all these stickers yeah. out. My parents just probably thought it was a bit weird and just let me get on with it. But... Yeah, and record WM every Saturday. Yeah. And it was at the days when you press play and record. Oh, good times. And you had the, you know, the goal. Um, like, da, 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 it's a goal. It's a goal. Yeah. <gasps> and I get a shot of adrenaline, like Pavlov's dogs <laughs> salivating. Were they at Oakwell? Were they going to Oakwell for Barnsley Wolves? And no, they weren't. They were going to the best guy. Oh, like, oh. yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd press, press. Um, Pause, pause to yeah. record the you know, yeah. Ian just like top of the pops back in the day or the chart back in the day just got to get <laughs> yes, it right I did that as well Bruno Brooks oh you my see God, my sisters do back. that it was like an art form like just I don't know how you're doing it which is witchcraft <laughs> um, listen back to the compilation yeah. only if we'd won I think <laughs> so people will know you um, from Five Live but also when you're presenting live coverage on BBC or ITV for a dart for example when you are presenting those live features what prep do you do going into those is there things that you're expected to do or is there things on top of that that you will do as well going into those events yeah so my prep 
basically can be split into before children and post children. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because got to find that corridor. Before children, it would be all day, every day, mm. watching. Uh, not just watching, but sitting and, and prepping for the next thing all the time. Commentary in particular. I did more yeah. commentary before I had kids, and then and since then I've moved into presenting. Really, really by coincidence, but it's actually worked well in terms mm. of the different type of preparation yeah. you do. Um, so now, what do I do now? A real array of things, um, and I just I prep all the time still, mm. which is probably not very healthy because I'm feeling a bit, <laughs> a bit kind of weirded out by the sport being bombarded. Yeah. But because I'm doing Sky now as well, yeah, that's so tomorrow as we speak, I'm going to be on air five hours live tomorrow on Sky wow. Sports News. Okay, uh, and we're talking before Wolves Chelsea. So I spent, I meant to spend half of yesterday doing Wolves Chelsea prep, yeah, and the rest doing all the different sports and all the different matches in the rest of the day. And actually, I ended up having Solheim Cup on, on one iPad, having Ashes on TMS wow, on my phone okay. while prepping for Wolf Chelsea virtually all the day whilst doing the odd bit of... Multi-screen. Yeah, which yeah. isn't really good for your headspace, to be no. honest. I'm not recommending this approach. <laughs> but I am I'm pretty... I don't know, obsessive is not the right word, but pretty um, uh, intense. Ooh, not sure. When it comes to prep, I like to do yeah. it properly. And I... I'm not somebody that likes to rock up and just go, mm. right, what game is it today? Okay, I'll just I'll just get a couple of stats out of the paper. Um, everyone's different. Yeah. And if people can do it that way, sometimes it's better. My old Five Live boss used to tell me off for doing too much prep. He said, just show up and tell us what's happening. I was like, yeah, but I like to know if it's yeah. his fifth goal in six games. Because you can wing out a stat thing, can't you, that would... The listener may not know about it. Gives, yeah. Kind of gives more gravitas to what you're talking about. It is, but it's not always just stats because sometimes they can be super dull. So I always find it so and so's fiftieth appearance of Bolton today. <laughs> oh, who gives us stuff? Honestly, <laughs> it's so dull. Whereas if his um, wife gave birth half an hour ago and it shouldn't go whether he's going to start, that's yeah. more interesting. Or if he was the best man of, you know, he's a striker and he was the best man at the the opposition goalkeeper's yeah. wedding that's interesting yeah. so there's other things apart from just stats it which bring add, a game yeah. to life perhaps adds to the story yeah. of what you're talking about and you are telling stories yeah. you've got to remember that whilst we're at Wolves Chelsea today and a lot of people in the country will be interested in what happens here you could be at um, oh bless him I nearly said Bury, but you could, um, I don't know Morecambe against yeah. somebody lower down and if you're sent to that game you, it's a significant game mm. you're being sent to tell the rest of the country what's happening it can't just be about Smith crosses to Evans and he cut inside and blah yeah. blah blah and fill 30 seconds with that tell the story very quickly about what's just happened but the context is key mm. so it is interesting because it's the 10th win in a row for Morecambe mm. if it stays like this and the manager's been linked with so and so that kind of thing context is key so w- when there is a broadcast when you're live you presume you'll have a director or a producer Talking to you, you might if you're in this, if you're on radio, you may have someone producer in the studio talking back to you. If you're on location, if you're presenting on TV, presumably you may have a director or a producer yeah. talking to you. With TV, in the yeah, air. you're hearing lots of voices. Does that was that weird when that first when, when first you were starting out, you've got someone talking to you and you're trying to perhaps talk at the same time? Is that kind of a weird dynamic? Yeah, it is. I'm trying to think when that would have been. I guess it's stopped for me TV wise. It's. I mean, I started in radio, which helped all kind of TV presenting. I think doing radio, starting in non-league football, and being told when you're going to be coming on roughly, or on many occasions not being told at all when you're going to be on, and suddenly you're, you're doing, say, final score, and then you hear the presenter go, "Tomorrow, you, what's happening, Jackie? What's that? What's that melee pitch side? You're like, what, what melee? I was looking <laughs> on the other side of the pitch, and something's <laughs> just happened. Um, so yeah, you do get used to it my first commentary for match of the day was a very different experience mm. with headphones on and um 
Yeah, and then and then the darts, which I do for ITV, which I absolutely blinking love. You've mm. got the commentary going on, but then if you're about to go on, then you've got people talking to graphics, BT. Yeah. You've got to try. At first, it's really hard. Nobody really tells you when you first start presenting mm. what all the different voices are and who they're talking to and what rum bumper on X means. I'm still right, not too okay. sure what rum bumper on X <laughs> means, but it's it's where you're playing out different types of VT right, and, and okay. off which system. So you do have to learn to decipher which voices you need to listen to mm. and which ones you don't. And, and some commentators, not many now, for example, when I was commentating on the Women's World Cup for the worldwide TV feed mm. in the summer, um, I was given the option of um, not um, having any of that chat uh, and just myself. So I actually went for that option in the first game and I was thinking, what on earth is that all about? I felt like a complete <laughs> little on my own sum up on the gantry. It was a terrible idea. No, I'd much, much rather listening, listen to it all. So I did for all the other games I yeah. did. And um, yes, it is... It's kind of sink or swim a little bit. You don't ever really get presenters telling you how to present or mm. what to listen to or what, what to listen out for. You you kind of pick it up as you go along. And, and I try and talk to people when we're having breakfast together or in the in the truck at the darts. And I'll say, you know, what was that about? Or what happened there? Or what does this mean? What does Run Bomber mm. on X mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so think the more you understand about the different jobs that different people do mm. then the better you can do your job i guess you've got to develop your own style into it it's like any kind of any job really you learn as you go along it's like being a parent in some ways people <laughs> people tell learning. you people <laughs> will tell you what to do but ultimately you've got to learn you learn yourself by how you go along you learn your own rules yeah yeah absolutely and I, I think one of the key things is you touched on there is be yourself yeah you can't go into football commentary and try and be steve wilson john Motson, yeah. john murray you can't they're all distinctive in their own way you can't go and presenting and go i'm going to be like gabby logan or i'm going to be ellie oldroyd mm. or i'm going to be mark pugach you cannot because they are so good at what they do because they are themselves yeah and it can be hard at first when you're thinking well who am i what is my style and it's taken me it's taken me a long time i would say over the years especially in in radio stuff weirdly because that was my big passion obsession mm. not tv wasn't interested in tv yeah. at all to to find your own voice and i think maturity and experience is massive in this business and once you've got that and a few air miles on the clock you totally relax and you can be yourself as you mentioned before is it a challenge to react to those quick things straight away you know you might be presenting something live and something might happen behind you that you've got to react to do you develop that as you go along that you've also got to react to something straight away or change the course of a conversation because mm. something might, you know, there might have been a breaking news story that's happened that you've now got to talk about. I guess on, you've got to be on your toes all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you've got to remember not to swear as well, which yeah. is the biggest thing. <laughs> like parenting, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's the hardest thing is not swearing too much, too loudly. Um, absolutely, but that's what I love about broadcasting. Mm. I really, really enjoy it. And it sounds weird, but I actually... Almost, I need to be careful. I don't wish something terrible to happen. I always prefer it when things go wrong mm. because that's where the fun is. If everything just flows all the time and say, say you're reading an autocue and then you're asking some questions and you know you're all typed to time and blah blah blah, it all goes great. That that's fine. Mm. But actually, you get a bigger shot of adrenaline when something goes wrong yeah. and you're like, okay, this is where you earn your money because mm. in a way, anyone can sit and, and read words out loud. Um, but the skill really is in something goes wrong you have to hold it together or something totally unexpected happens whether it's 
um, we had lightning flashes when we were live on our ITV pitch site at Chelsea oh, okay. once. Um, and and hail, sheets of, of ice literally appearing on my iPad in front of me. And, and you've got to react or whether it's um, you know, the news readers that had to deal with, um, with protesters coming into the news studio. Right, or, OK. Um, there are lots of different things that can happen while you're on air. And, or, or maybe even a, a conversation, an interview takes a really unexpected twist. Mm. And that's where the interesting thing is. And I probably probably enjoyed far too much when um, I was on air live with ITV once and um, and suddenly the the screen went sort of purple into the Microsoft sign that you know right, the okay, went. Yeah, yeah. and um, and I was talking to people in the gallery and I thought that's weird I can't no one's reacting yeah. I was like, are they just quiet on the break mm. this was during an ad break and then suddenly the sound man comes racing in does something races out without saying a word and I realized the sound had failed coincidentally at exactly the same time that the autocue had failed. Oh, right, okay. And I just started giggling. I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I had no idea when we would come back on air. I had no idea what we were doing in the next part. There was mm. no script because it was after a whole evening full of internationals. Yeah. And we just boom, boom, boom through the highlights without having a chance to look at them even. And so I remember having um, Gus Poyet and, um, oh, what's his name? German manager, um, Man City. Oh, God, what's his name? I'm trying to think now. Um, German Man City manager. German Man City player. Legendary striker. Uh, Dieter uh, Rossler. Oh, Rossler. Sorry. Uh, legendary in those days, yeah. He's, <laughs> he was a top bloke. And and just just winging the next yeah. few minutes. And the, the floor manager making all these strange signals. <laughs> I had no idea what he meant. Um, but yeah, that was actually part of the fun. And all they care about, really, is that you get off on air on time to the very yeah. second you have to. And But yeah, that's part of it. There's a lot of memories there. Any kind of highlight memories so far that you've done so far in broadcasting? Yeah, I think commentating for BBC at the Men's World Cup in yeah. 2010 in South Africa. My mum's South African and all my family out there. So oh, okay. being particularly in the stadium in Cape Town and commentating with Graham Taylor um, was a huge buzz. Mm. And that was on um, Netherlands against Cameroon. And I just remember looking at Graham Taylor thinking... That's Graham Taylor. That's Graham Taylor, <laughs> who I remember standing outside Burnden Park for about an hour, queuing up to wish him luck as the new <laughs> Wolves manager, which is really sad. Um, late at night, and um, he'd just been appointed, and, and suddenly I was commentating for the BBC yeah. World Cup. So that was huge. And I'd say probably the World Cup in um, Russia was a big one for yeah. ITV, and yeah. I think spending a month with staying in the hotel with Roy Keane and Gary Neville and Ian Wright. And, mm. And that they had a pretty good roster of yeah. pundits, yeah. Martin O'Neill, and, and having breakfast with these guys who my husband idolised as a Man United fan. And um, and he was looking after the kids for months while I was just hanging out and having dinner and yeah. drinks with Roy Keane. Living his, his dream. Well. His absolute <laughs> hero. Uh, but he was super cool about it. And that, lots of different things. Um, my first ever reporting game for Radio Leeds at, mm. at um, Bradford Park Avenue against Ashton United. The hardest, one of the hardest things, second only to... Uh, probably commentating on Wakefield and Emily against Worksop Town for my right, first commentary, okay. which was just so hard because I'd had no notice. Another game had gone down and uh, the pos- position of the press yeah. box was terrible and there's no information on the internet. So, um, But I think these challenges, I think overcoming these hurdles of things that you're thinking, oh my God, they, yeah. they talk about comfort zones a lot, don't they, on reality TV mm. shows. But wow, I've, I've um, been outside mine quite a lot mm. of times and yeah, that's quite satisfying to have overcome these hurdles. Is there anything you would still like to do in oh, your yeah. career? Is there anything that's still like the pinnacle of, right, if I could do that, that would be amazing? Loads. Oh. Roll some stuff off. What still would you like oh, to do? lots of things. Um, I can't say specifically, but I think, 
Masters, for example, maybe? Presenting certain shows. Um, I do the Darts Masters. I presume that's what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Bill Keynes every January, February. Um, Oh, there are lots of things. that I I couldn't even name them. There just are lots of different types Mm. of shows that I'd love to do. And I I love going back to commentary, actually, last summer for the Women's World Cup. That was a huge buzz, doing the TV feed around the world. Um, So I, I can't actually name them. But, yeah, there are lots and lots of things I love to still do. to talk a bit more about the more opportunities that women are now getting in sports media you know we've seen some really kind of great people coming in the last couple of years we've seen like Alex Scott, Jules Breach, Lindsay Hooper, yourself for example are we seeing more opportunities now for women or is it still a male dominated industry and there's still more work to be done? Loads more opportunities yeah. for women absolutely loads more in the sense that broadcasters now realise they, they can't really have panels full of um white males talking about all sorts of things whether Mm. it's politics whether it's sport football anything just purely because it's not representative of the audience the audience Mm. now is so much more diverse and therefore they really should be represented better and you think of ex-footballers that didn't used to be that many black pundits did there which is weird it's bizarre when you think about it now it's it is really and, and and i think it's partly people are people in their own image of course but also mm. in the way that things have always been whereas now there is a you know there is a real call not just it used to be the BBC that sort of changed things first but now I think all the commercial broadcasters have gone well no we need to be more representative as well yeah. and ITV you know, had Ennio Luco at the the Men's World yes. Cup for example and um, they went first with that and that there's you know Alex Scott's on literally everything now because she's very but good because she's very good, though. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you have to give people these opportunities to realise. I mean, you look now at the situation with the lack of black managers, and mm. that is really, really insane. And yeah. if you were to try and boil it down into something simplistic, then you're kind of thinking, well, it's because it's a you know a white male who tends to do the appointments, and mm. um, and these managers haven't had a chance to prove themselves yet, so therefore they're not getting selected. So. But I think in broadcasting we're further ahead. So of course you have to be more represented. But of course you have to give opportunities to people who are extremely passionate about yeah. the sport. You can't turn them into that. That's when it goes wrong. Is when you're trying to turn somebody into a sport presenter. Right. Or a, okay. A, yeah. Yeah. The number of times people said to me when I started doing football commentary, or even way after that when I did match of the day, they go, "So do you like football then? Honestly, I wanted to slap them around the chops. I was like, oh, for goodness' sake, as if you would put yourself in that position." Yeah. If you weren't living and breathing that sport yeah. every day, it's just a weird concept. So you can't put people in those positions. Yes, you can encourage them. Have you thought, you know, you're a good broadcaster and you're you know, whatever mad about your, your particular sport. Have you thought about commentary? Of course you can do that. If somebody maybe hasn't had that self-confidence in mm. the past or hasn't had those role models in that sport in the past, nothing wrong with that. But you can't appoint people just for the heck of it. Mm. Do you think that women have to work harder to get the opportunities now compared to their male counterparts or do you think that's the balance is getting there now? No, I don't think you have to work harder to get the opportunities because everybody has to work really hard. There are thousands of sports journalism students and there are very few jobs and you you are kind of looking at these courses and I go and talk to some of them sometimes and think... It's survival of the fittest because yes. there isn't going to be work for everyone. Yep. Uh, yeah, the ones that don't want to work weekends, for example, good luck with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd like to do nine to five, please, Monday to Friday. Yep, okay. You might end up in marketing or, or yeah. something different. 
Um, but I don't think you have to work harder to get the opportunities, but I think the other side of it is very different in the gaining the respects. Mm. Um, because whilst we can change quotas, we can say we're going to advertise this job and we want somebody, we're only going to appoint somebody diverse, you can do that. Yeah. What you can't do is change people's minds mm. and you can't influence the way people perceive people mm. apart from appointing good people. Yeah. And then those people obviously working really hard this is a really tough industry to get into and to mm. stay into it, stay in it really really is and you're constantly proving yourself so you do have to perhaps work harder if you're in an environment where people are going huh has she only got the job because or yeah. has he only got the job mm. because then yes there's I a culture say, perception still that's probably yeah, floating about yeah, yeah from when people grew up we all mm. have our prejudices and mm. let's not pretend otherwise because we all grew up a certain way with I don't know whether it's prejudices. You didn't intend them to be prejudices. It's just you grew up in a certain environment. Our parents, our grandparents grew mm. up in a certain way. They have certain prejudices because yeah. of the way the cultural situation was in their day. Mm. Um, so to change that and to change people's perceptions, yes, we have to prove ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Work hard, do your very best. And if you don't convince people that you're any good at your job, well, tough. You can't yeah. influence that. You can only make sure you make the most of every single opportunity. Exactly. Is, is there anything the industry can do or maybe schools and colleges can do to try and encourage more women to, into, to looking at these roles or giving it a go? Yeah, I think there are definitely issues. In fact, I know this for sure okay, because yeah. I talk to a lot of women, um, up-and-coming women who are mentoring, women just breaking through. I spent a lot of this week sending job links to uh, graduates, yeah. to women looking to break through into, into this industry. Um, and I think what they have to do is have that belief to apply for stuff. Mm. It's, it's been proven, there was a, a survey that proves that something along the lines of uh, if a man feels he meets 30% of the criteria, he'll apply for a job and a woman feels she has to meet 90% wow, of the criteria okay. to apply. They, they have done certain studies on this and I think for definite we have to back ourselves like I never did for example mm. until I was 27 when I changed career okay. I never thought I could work in this industry I listened religiously to Five Live and my little earphones while going to football matches yeah. every week never occurred to me I could work in this industry um, until much later when I thought oh I need to give it a go or I'll, <laughs> I'll always regret it um, so yes I think we need to back ourselves we need to back up each other which is um, why I've worked with women in football for 12 years since since we helped set it up um, just to champion each other to encourage each other to say oh I hear there's this job going I know who'd be good for this and then you phone up or yeah. message or direct message yeah, yeah. somebody you met in a press box in Burnley and go oh there's this job going I reckon you'd be brilliant you fancy it yeah. um, so I think we have to help each other more we have to back ourselves because so much about certainly about sports broadcasting is confidence mm. and i really struggled with that for years in my first few years of commentary because I just thought everyone's looking at me and thinks I'm rubbish um, and I really struggled with that and it was only just sticking at it or um, other types of broadcasting and, and feeling like I, I belonged in other areas that actually I had that confidence to go back to it mm. and um, and to really enjoy it to be perfectly honest so I think um, yeah supporting each other and backing ourselves is key. Has anybody listened to this who would like to get into this industry all the, you know, the various roles you do now, for example, what advice would you give them if they're starting off for the first time? What should they be looking to do? What experience should they be looking to do? What mm. advice would you usually give out? Yeah, well, I'd get them to ask themselves, first of all, are they prepared to work extremely hard mm. and do whatever it takes? If it's just a case of, oh, I think I quite fancy being on the telly, well... <laughs> 
Mm. You're probably going to find it very hard because there's so much that goes into getting to that stage. Um, but if you genuinely are passionate about your subject and you genuinely think you have what it takes and you are prepared to, to go for it, then first of all, I would say research. I would mm. say so what I did was research the backgrounds of people who are doing the type of job that you'd like to do. I would certainly say go and do some work experience because I started at hospital radio, again, having read about that on somebody's biography that yeah. they did that okay. to my local hospital radio station and spent every Thursday writing my own sports report mm. um, while I was at my proper job oh. and then in the <laughs> evening going getting the um, requests from the old people and then doing my sports report and that costs nothing and they're mm. happy for you to go and have that experience yeah. I would suggest doing some sort of part-time course maybe to start with and I did an evening course in print journalism okay. introduction to print journalism which I just found out about via a magazine in WH Smith and um any other courses you can find out about just to check whether it is something you really do want to do and if like me after six months I was like right I really need to do this You're and right, I, yeah. I jumped ship and started again the full-time work experience and then went back to university for a year's postgrad mm. and spent all my savings on on doing that because I'd finally discovered that yeah this is 100% what I want to do and I'm going to do whatever mm. it takes to give myself the best chance of somebody offering me yeah. some work yeah. um, so yeah so I'd say research it first to check that it is something you really want to do and I think then you need to prove to people that you're serious about it mm. by doing match reports off the telly or writing match reports and, and trying to be as, rather than going, I want to be a TV presenter, start writing, start doing audio, mm. because people tend to have to diversify these days to give yeah. themselves the best chance of being employed. Um, and there are things now with modern technology which mean you can do all that stuff before mm. anyone pays you to do anything yeah um and then personally i do recommend doing some sort of journalism course mm. i think it does give you um the grounding without any of the pressure mm. of course you can learn on the job and if you get an opportunity then fantastic go for it um but those opportunities i think alongside a proper journalism course yeah. will stand you in good stead and you tend not to regret it I would suggest and, and I found that doing my one year of, of studying in Sheffield my I did a broadcast journalism postgrad mm. um, and I just found that having that time to really focus on learning how to ask questions for example how to use a mini disc recorder as it was in those days how to do the basics without the yeah. pressure and doing um, sort of student radio stations mm. and stuff was the best grounding and then starting at the very bottom um, because then when I applied by writing letters to all the local BBC stations in Yorkshire saying I'm a mature student I'm doing this stuff I, you yeah. know I'm in a hurry can I see you then they wrote back saying have you can have two days on TV news and yeah. leads and while I was in there collared the sports editor and took my very first steps into into broadcasting from there and I guess so it's taking those opportunities when an opportunity comes to you if it's oh, free just go get it if someone says if you message someone and say you know, I always find it's easier to say, can I come and see you, mm. rather than, can I have a job? If you start yeah. off by going, can I have a job, or can I have work experience, and people tend to kind of go, I've got so much on my plate, and your CV yeah. piles up on top of everyone else's. Mm. If there's any way you can get in front of people, I think that's absolutely key. Um, a lot of people get into this industry by people they know, yeah. and if you can, then good luck to you. Um, I didn't have that benefit, and that shouldn't put you off if you don't know people, because people want people who they like and who they can get on with in mm. their team and who can do the job so if you prove that you have the attitude to go out and not just get one story but maybe get two mm. um, and come back with something and you're the one that's happy to do the late shift or you're the one that's happy to come in on a Sunday 
um, then you'll probably get a, a good opportunity. Whereas if, if somebody says, can you come in on a Thursday, eight o'clock to shadow the, the late show, and you go, mm. oh, it's my friend's birthday, sorry. Yeah. That's your choice. Yeah but you might not get the next opportunity. Yeah. So you have to be, I mean, I ended up splitting up with my boyfriend in London to move to Sheffield. Mm. I didn't see my friends barely for months because I was working every Saturday mm. doing a 10 minute non-league football slot. But that's just what you have to do, I think. Throw when, everything at it. When you were 27 and you thought, right, I want to this, I want to get into this world now, and you were in a, presumably a full-time job. Yeah. Was that still, that must have still been a daunting thing to think I'm gonna leave the comfort of a, perhaps I paid well for a while and be a student again but to still follow a passion but that must was it a daunting thing no 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 not at all it was I'd made up my mind because I'd done I'd done six months of evening courses and hospital radio and and I just thought well I'm trapped in this full-time job mm. that I despise with a bully of a boss and um I never thought I'd go back to it I never thought well I'll just get another job if this doesn't work out it never occurred to me I just thought wow finally I found something in life that I can fully focus on 100% that I know I want to do so when I say it didn't occur to me that I could go back to it it's not that's not a self-confidence thing that I thought I was going to make it mm. it was purely that I was so focused on trying that that's all I thought about mm. all I could think about was sport and broadcasting yeah I finally put the two together because they were both my passions broadcasting from listening to five live all yeah. the time <laughs> and yeah. watching sport all the time and um and I just thought everybody else wanted to do it up until that point. I thought, so I'd never have a chance. I never had that confidence. But I think having a bit of life experience, having mm. traveled around the world, having lived as a 19-year-old in Germany for a year without knowing anybody, and it was blinking hard. It was mm. really, really hard. I had to grow up quite a lot. I think those life experiences, having negative experiences in the workplace, just awful bullying situations, just really, really mm. negative, all those things had, had built up my life experience that made me think, I can handle this. And, yeah. and I was prepared to do what it took to give myself the best opportunity of, of people offering me work and, and somehow staying in the industry. And I, and I never thought for a second about the pay. If I had, I probably wouldn't have done it because <laughs> I was on a very good salary in London yeah. and living in Fulham and everything was great yeah. and seeing my friends all the time and it was all good. But professionally, I wasn't remotely fulfilled and mm. I wasn't going anywhere that I wanted to go I was halfway up a ladder I didn't want to be on and I thought I'm going to jump off this ladder and, and get onto the bottom of a ladder I do want to be on and and even if I climb slowly and even if I don't even get halfway up at yeah. least I'll be on a ladder I want to be yeah. on that's how I saw it and final question then the, the media with sports is you know changing all the time you know it's probably just as differently when Sky came in in the 90s and started doing live coverage where do you see it being in the next decade where do you wow. think it might look like? I know it's a big question. It's the same question we ask at the end of each episode. So it's yeah. interesting to see what everybody else kind of brings to the table. But where do you see it in the next decade? How do you think it might look or feel? Well, sitting next to me in the um, Wolves press room here is a very heavy bag of kit, which yeah. is called an ISDN kit, which we use so it's broadcast quality sound. And I cannot wait till technology moves on so that we don't have to lug these yeah. things around the country. <laughs> the size of an iPhone in the future. Oh, my. Yeah, so in future we just broadcasting of these tiny little things yeah. that, that you can just skip off to a match and without very much apart from your laptop maybe um so yeah it's interesting and i hope we don't continue in the way that we are not I, i've just started working for sky so i'm quite happy i've always paid the subscriptions literally when i was a student and it, and it started up mm. and what have you a little while ago um but i think i've just paid 99 pounds for premier sports as well as my 20 yeah. whatever pound a month for bt mm. and i don't know you wonder how long people will pay for all these separate mm. prescription uh, subscriptions um 
so I hope we don't go down the route of, of having yet more and more separate ones yeah. to pay for. Um, but I, I don't know what it's going to look like. I think I can't imagine the TV is going to look too different mm. to how they do now. Um, do you think digital might have more of an impact? Because it's, it's got such, especially with social media, it's got such an impact now in terms yeah. of how stuff is reported, trying to I catch up with transfer rumours. I think everything is instant. I'm like that. I mm. use technology. People take the mickey at me because I'm, I'm Mrs. Apple. I've got um, <laughs> Apple Watch, AirPods, um, iPhone, iPad, laptop, a couple of laptops at home, Apple yeah. TV. I mean, I just they make my life easier. And as a working <laughs> mum, juggling childcare and kids and you know I walk around the house with an airpod in while talking to my kids and whilst doing all the domestic yeah. stuff because I'm constantly absorbing work the whole yeah. time or sports news so I'm constantly on top of everything um, and I think that makes life easier and, and I love RefWatch as I tell everyone at Sky they think I'm really sad but I love RefWatch on a Monday morning yeah. and um, and I said to the guys in there I just if I've missed it I don't want to have to record it every Monday because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's I tell you it's on series link um, but I just want to be able to go on my phone and watch the whole of it, not mm. a little clip. So I think things like that, just everything we just want on demand mm. now, when we want it, we want to be able to tell a friend, oh, did you see so-and-so? Get it on your phone, show it now. Yeah. And we are pretty much at that stage. Um, but in terms of rights, I'm not too sure how that's going to go. It's way above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I wish, do wish rights wouldn't be lost just after the end of my contract, like happened last <laughs> summer. That was yeah. most inconvenient for paying my mortgage. <laughs> Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.